0: Hello and welcome to The Creative Scramble, my name is Matty Singh and today I'm joined by film and music video director, Andrew Sandler. Hi Andrew.
1: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me.
0: No worries. Um, I'm going to big you up a little bit, dude, because you've got quite an impressive resume. So for the folks that don't know, Andrew is an award, I'm ripping this from your website by the way, but Andrew is an award winning filmmaker based out in LA. You have a ridiculous portfolio of videos that have amassed well over a billion views, I believe. Um, So, artists include people like Diddy, Usher, Ariana Grande, Mary J. Blige, Nicki Minaj, Chris Brown, just to name a few. Uh, You also directed Mary J. Blige's uh, documentary and Chris Brown's documentary, Welcome to My Life, which had a worldwide theatrical debut, worldwide, um, earning its title as one of the most successful independent documentaries of 2017, and it's also on Netflix. So... You're quite a big deal, Andrew. So I'm a little bit starstruck talking to yourself.
1: Thank you. Glad mm-hmm. you think so.
0: I mean, you're quite a young guy. How old? I'm going to go in with that. I'm 28. How old are you?
1: I just had my 30th birthday, so I'm a dinosaur in Hollywood years.
0: Uh, it's all downhill now. It's all downhill.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: no, you're still, we're still babies, really, in the grand scheme of things. So incredible what you've achieved so far. Um, first and foremost, can you... I mean. Give me a bio of your career so far so you can go back into how you first got into filmmaking and kind of the first steps of how you got your break into the industry.
1: Sure. I mean, I feel like you did such a, a good job at my bio. Um, so, I basically, I started uh, making short films, um, as do a lot of people in, in high school um, on my little DV camera. There was a film class at my, at my high school where we had to make, it was a film studies class, but we had to make short films. Um, every now and then. And that was when I really first developed a love for filmmaking um, behind the camera. Um, I had Final Cut Pro 7 back then. So I remember you know, transferring from DV tape, <laughs> recording capture into Final Cut Pro 7. And I remember the first time- Classic. Yeah, classic. And the first time editing my, my short film and um, playing with, with sound effects and, and creating a mood with, with music and bringing all the, those elements together, I knew that this is definitely what I wanted to do the rest of my life. So I pursued that and ended up going to uh, USC film school. Um, and there is when my career really, really blossomed and took off because I got to experiment with different different cameras, different formats, and just kind of take my learning experience to a whole different level. Um, and this is back in 2000, what was this 2008? So I remember my, my last year at USC is when the, the Red One first came out and, uh, Toward the end of my my uh, experience at USC, I got my hands on one of those and that kind of changed the game, I feel like, for me and and uh most filmmakers, because up until that point, you know, it really wasn't accessible for someone my age to even, you know, think about being on a music video set with with a uh, with a major artist because one, it was expensive, and two, you know, all the videos were going to the top dogs at the time. Um, you know, people I looked up to, like Chris Cunningham and David Fincher and Mark Romanek and Jonathan Glazer. And those were kind of the directors at the time that were doing all the top videos. And when the Red 1 came out, it kind of changed the game for everybody and kind of uh, made it more accessible for people like me to be able to shoot uh, a music video, a big music video on a small scale. So my first, my first, first music video out the gate from USC, I went to USC with with Romeo Miller at the time. He was on the basketball team and we uh, ran into each other in the cafeteria and I was in the film school and, and he needed a music video. So We connected right away, ended up shooting my first music video on the Red with him. He had a group at the time called College Boys. And that was really my first experience, um, like shooting a real music video, if you would. Um, And it kind of like looking almost like, you know, similar to what the big dogs were doing at the time because of the access uh, that, you know, the the image that the Red One was able to give you. Um, So from there, I graduated USC. And uh, you know, like anybody coming out of film school at the time, I was looking for work and looking for creative ways to be able to to get my first step into the industry, Um, which is when I started my first documentary. This was also around the time that the Canon uh, 7D came out and 5D, I don't know if you remember that, but it was a big deal when it first came out because that also was a way for new filmmakers to have access to a pretty good looking image that was pretty comparable to a lot of the stuff that big guys were doing. So I shot my first documentary. It was. Yeah, and it was... It was I the, remember,
0: I think, similar.
1: Yeah, it was... It was Sorry. Huge, yeah, no, it was... It a, was
0: similar when you mentioned about the red, when the 5D came out, that made everything just open, didn't it, to everyone, more accessible.
1: Yeah, it really changed the game because it really had a cinematic look to it that not a lot of cameras in that price range really... Actually, no cameras in that price range had at the time. And it was fairly fairly cheap, obviously, compared to like what a real film camera would be. Um, and up until that point, like I said, I was shooting on the HVX 200. I was lucky enough to shoot on the Rev one that one uh, for that video when it came out. But before that, it was really you know, you really stuck to DV tape and even in film school, we we're still shoot, uh, shooting on 16 millimeter, which I highly recommend to anybody who has access to it. Um, it's nothing like shooting on film. That's a whole different thing we can talk about later on.
0: <laughs> I did want to say we when I was at, when I was at college, we didn't necessarily use film. it was more tape dv tape and then dslrs came in with the 5d or the t2i which was the lower end um did you guys get to use much film like you mentioned 16 mil or 35 mil because that's a unique experience in itself
1: yeah definitely i feel like i feel like i went to when i went to usc when i went to film school it was right like i said right on the cusp of when technology was really shifting in the industry like i said you know, right when I graduated was around the time that the Red One came out and then the 5D and 7D. So I went to school at a very interesting time because when I went or before I, you know, before people who came before me, you really kind of had to go to film school in order to get access to some of the toys that you wouldn't necessarily have access to. Just, you know, just being, you know, wherever you're from or, you know, outside of film school, such as like a 16 millimeter camera with film um, or even access to 35 millimeter cameras or anything Higher up than a DV camera. And so for me, going to film school was really the ability to have access to, you know, avid systems and, and things that I didn't really have access to outside of film school. Now it's a whole different ballgame because now, you know, you can, there's so many, you know, amazing people even on YouTube just teaching you, you know, things that um, I learned in film school. And, you know, I don't necessarily think or think you have to go to film school now, but back then, I, you know, I feel like you kind of almost did just to be able to have access to, to the toys, you know?
0: For sure. I was going to, that is another debate of, especially um, a few years ago in England, our university fees tripled uh, per year. So it went from three grand a year to nine grand a year. So for people wanting to do TV and film, I don't think it's the good a good idea now. I mean, looking back, it was great for me because I met people and it was a great way to network. It was like a media college called FutureWorks where they had... Audio students, game students, so people who could do CGI animation, as well as people who wanted to produce, people who wanted to be camera ops and think and or, or sound boom ops and things. Um, but I think now there's so many meetup groups and there's so many Facebook groups like Black with No Cream, which we'll touch on later, you can just kind of get involved and do things yourself.
1: For sure. And I mean, the totally all those things changed the game. Even even social media. You know, like when I was at when I was at USC, I think to even be on Facebook back then, you had to have a college email address. I'm like really dating myself right now. <laughs> Things have really changed, even just in the last eight years. It's it's really crazy to see. But you know, for some people, film school works for them. Everybody learns differently, and to be able to sit in a class works for some people. And for other people, just you know, having experience just in the real world is enough for them. Especially if you're super intuitive when it comes to filmmaking and knowing how to manipulate the medium, and it just kind of is the sixth sense, like it it was for me. But film school for me, like I said, enabled me to really play around and meet a lot of great people, but also use the same toys that at that time the big guns were using to be able to be in a you know, real Foley stage and have access to Avid and 16 and millimeter film and the, you know, the amazing professors that were there. So for me at that time, it was the perfect experience that gave me the knowledge and resources to pursue my career in the industry.
0: Definitely. I think everyone has their own individual path, whether it be... There's the stories of Spielberg and Tarantino who kind of did it without the film school, but plenty of big directors, including yourself as well, that went for a more traditional route. So you're all on your own paths, trust your own journey people who are listening. (laughs) Um, I wanted to switch it up to kind of your break into Riveting Entertainment. Um, So Riveting Entertainment, for those who don't know, is a big production company out in the States, in LA. That work on some of the craziest, biggest music videos for the biggest artists in the industry, and I believe you got into there through was it director Anthony Mandler?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Anthony Mandler was was always a director I looked up to at film school. He actually went to USC uh, before me, so he was somebody I looked up to as far as you know his path and career in the industry and the work he was doing was was unmatched for me at the time. The stuff he was doing with Jay Z and Rihanna and the way he was able to bring. Uh, A real cinematic and narrative look to music videos blew me away. So when I graduated USC, I found out we had a mutual friend in common who uh, linked us. And Anthony got coffee with me one day and was able to give me some mentorship. And I think he was going off to do a film at the time. So he because of that, he connected me to Andrew at Riveting to kind of take over the mentorship process. Um, so I met with Andrew Riveting and things kind of took off from there, you know He kind of took me under his wing and put me on a lot of the stuff they were doing with Chris Brown at the time So this is
0: Andrew Listerman.
1: Yeah, this is Andrew Listerman. So, yeah. you know, he has a you know, long relationship with Chris Brown and you know His work with Colin Tilly was, you know, uh, back then, you know Everybody was looking up to the stuff that they were doing at the time So to be able to have the opportunity to meet Andrew and work with Riveting was huge for me at the time and that's uh, You know, that's how I got my first break in the music video industry.
0: So Andrew Listman, for those who don't know, is the CEO or the founder of Riveting Entertainment. Um, So when you got in there with Andrew, were you, did you sort of start up lower or did he think this guy's got some talent and I'm just going to give you some opportunities to see what you can do, let let you fly?
1: Um, I had two music videos lined up at the same time I met Andrew. One of them was with um, LMFAO and Wilmer Valderrama and the other one was with Swedish, uh, Steve Angelo of Swedish House Mafia. And that was kind of at the same time yes. I met Andrew, so it was kind of a mutual thing where um, Andrew um, helped me get those videos done, and at the same time, he had some videos coming up with Chris that he put me on. Um, so right off the bat, we kind of just jumped into production, and um, you know, I didn't know everything at a time, to be honest with you, but I feel like that's just kind of how you have to pursue these things sometimes, is you know, say, say yes and figure it out later. And I learned a lot just from those first from those first videos and just being on set and just watching and and observing how everyone worked. I picked it up pretty quickly. And so my first Chris Brown video was Love More with Nicki Minaj. And I was kind of after the two videos that I brought to Riveting, that was my first video um, kind of that they brought me. And I was able to be a producer on that Um, because I both I produce and direct. So being a producer on that, you know, I very quickly learned the ropes, being able to co-produce with Andrew and watch how he Uh, worked with the crew and put the production together and then the rest is kind of history
0: Awesome just to backtrack a little bit you mentioned LMFAO and Steve Angelo big names in the music industry How did you get those sorts of opportunities because that's still high level stuff before Sort of in tying with riveting entertainment
1: Yeah I feel like I feel like a lot of the work that I've I've gotten over the years and, and these two videos included are all built from friendship and trust so for the LMFAO video, one of my first mentors in the, in the industry was Wilmer Valderrama. Um, I met him uh, right after film school as well, and we just kind of hit off instantly as friends and, and creators together, and we did a small video together at the time um, that kind of uh, showed us, you know, how great we were working with each other, and after that first video, he um, had this LMFAO, this LMFAO video that he was a feature on, and he wanted to direct, Um, and that was again at the same time I met Riveting. So we kind of just all kind of tackled it together. And same thing with, um, with Steve Angelo, he was just somebody that I met through mutual friend. And, um, it was kind of like right time, right place, right time situation. And as long as you can build the friendship and trust with these celebrities and these artists, and then you have the the team and also uh, the talent to back it. I feel like all those things go hand in hand.
0: So we have music video director Casey Locke who's making some big waves in the UK music video scene. Um, and on his episode, he talked a little bit about how music videos are commissioned, so how he'll make treatments, etc. cetera. Um, could you go over the process of how that kind of works in your world? Um, do you pitch? For work, or do artists and labels come to you? just kind of the overall process start to finish to give people an idea
1: yeah i mean there's there's a there's a lot of different ways to to book video work and um and get new clients. The traditional route is you know all the labels have video commissioners, and the video commissioners basically solicit the music to the different production companies and directors around town um and ask for treatments, so the directors will write treatments, which is basically their concept on paper. To pitch the artist um, through pictures and visuals and and words. Although I've seen some creative ways recently that some directors are are uh, pitching treatments through video, which are really cool and websites. Um, but basically, those those commissioners take those pitches from those directors and production companies and submit it to the label and the artist, and then the artist picks their favorite. But that's not the only only way to get video work through commissioners. Um, you know, a lot of the most of videos I've gotten are through um, direct relationships and friendships you know and you build over time a rapport with certain artists and certain labels and those labels if you do well they keep coming back to you for more work right like just like Mm -hmm. any any other business um so that's typically the way the way people get work in the music video world
0: okay and you mentioned you are a producer as well as a director what are the main differences between those two roles because sometimes they can merge into one but sometimes they're just well they're totally different
1: yeah, for sure. I mean, I think for me, um, I love being able to produce and direct because for me, they both go hand in hand, especially the music videos with how quickly things move and with budgets getting smaller. I feel like when I direct, it's always great to have the knowledge of producing because then you know what you can and can't do off the jump. And then you could be more creative in figuring out solutions and ways to achieve what you want visually. So the producer's job is basically to enable the director to accomplish what they need to visually so you you know producer will put together the the line budget. will hire the team, bring on the crew, vet locations, basically make sure that the production runs smoothly from start to finish. Kind of like being the CEO of a company, I guess. Whereas a director, the director kind of has to have tunnel vision in some ways. Who's basically the you know the captain of the ship creatively. So the director has the vision for the music video for what you know what he wants it to look like. Um. And basically has to carry that through from start to finish and work hand in hand with the producer, obviously, to make sure it gets done um, on budget and on time.
0: Speaking of budgets, obviously, we're living in the digital age where things are more accessible and affordable. But I'm guessing at your level, like, they are pretty high. So what sort of budgets do you tend to work with? If I'm being too intrusive, then feel free to not share. So...
1: I mean, I I feel like now, kind of like I said earlier, I hate to be like the old guy, like <laughs> preaching this, but now is just, it's completely different from when it was, even when I first started, but even before that, like I mentioned, you know, back in like the, you know, MTV days, you know, no one was really doing videos for anything under than, you know, 100K, 150K. And there's definitely a lot of those videos still going, going around, but there's also the small videos that, you know, and to me, when I say small, in terms of what I do is, you know, 30 K to me is a smaller size video. Um, but there are directors out there getting videos done for, you know, 5,000, 10,000. I feel like if you're just getting started out, it's important to be able to do those to gain the experience and kind of work your way up. Um, so to answer your question, I mean, I do videos, you know, from budgets ranging from $30,000 up to $200,000. Um, and it's never enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does that pressure ever get to you? It's never like enough. You're...
1: So for people thinking that more money, you know, directors think that more money is going to solve all their problems. It's just, there's more problems every step of the way.
0: More money, more problems. isn't it? I've actually,
1: some of my favorite videos are done, I've done are the smaller budget videos because you have to think outside the box. You know, to me, when it's, when it's too controlled and too safe and too easy sometimes is when you don't always get the best content. So for me, you know, sometimes being under the pressure of a budget Sometimes it works in my favor.
0: I was going to say, when I was making videos, just in the same thing in when I was at uni, um, some of the best early music videos me and my friend made at the time were the ones where we turned upon the location on the day, at the location. We'd never seen it before. We had about three hours to film it, just a couple of DSLRs in hand, and a couple of lights, and we just winged it, basically. We just sort of made it up as we went. And they're still to this day some of my favorite videos that I've ever made and edited just because you had to really think on your feet and, right, what can we do? Right, let's, that's let's, that looks cool. Let's rearrange this here and, yeah, you can get some awesome results by a little bit of movie magic that way.
1: Exactly. I mean, I did a, 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 60, a 60K video uh, two weeks ago and we, we lost our location the day before. And it's like those things happen, you know, no matter if you're dealing with, you know, $10,000 budgets or $150,000 budgets. Unfortunately, there's always those, those hurdles you have to overcome and think outside the box.
0: Definitely. I mean, do you feel that pressure sometimes of, I'm working with a massive crew, I've got a big A-list artist um, here, I've got a label maybe breathing down my neck um, and all these maybe onset problems can happen, people all coming to you, what do we do, what do we do? Do you ever get stressed and overwhelmed with that or do you kind of take it in your stride?
1: You know, I definitely take it, you know, I definitely it's something that I think that you learn over time. And you learn how to how to deal with it. and everybody manages stress differently. You know, for me, it's something I feel like I've I've definitely gotten better at over the years. And There's always a voice in the back of your head that, you know, w- wants you to be stressed out. But the reality is that being more stressed out doesn't solve anything. So if I've learned yeah. anything over the years, it's that, you know, no matter you, you just have to go into these things knowing that curveballs are going to get thrown your way. It's never going to be perfect. Like when you step on set, you just have to expect and know. Especially you know, music videos. You're dealing with celebrities and, and artists, which is different from dealing with actors on feature film sets and movies. Um, mm. Because there's a lot more that goes into an art, like a, a music artist, if you will, and what they're willing and not willing to do. And you don't have a lot of prep for these videos sometimes. So there's always something that shit's always going to hit the fan. Like no matter what, <laughs> no matter what you're doing. So if you go into it with an open mindset, just ready to kind of pivot and make decisions on the day, I feel like it's important not to get stressed out for those things. And you can't get stressed out with labels there and with crews there. You know, at the end of the day, everyone's there to enable you um, and help you achieve your vision. And if, you know, and if, if they're not, then uh, you just need to do better when hiring your crew. Um, I (laughs) think that's something that happens over time too, is you learn who you like to work with, who you vibe with and the kind of people you want on your set. And, um, You know, at the end of the day, it's just about overcoming any challenge that gets thrown your way.
0: Awesome. Now, I mean, what you're doing now, music videos and working with some of the biggest A-list artists out there, it's really competitive. There's loads of young filmmakers want to be in that position one day because music videos are kind of that cool thing where there's no real rules. You can be so creative in them. What practical steps for those starting out would you give, as well as those philosophical steps like for following that dream but sort of the practical steps of pursuing that as well
1: um i mean i think getting started now is definitely extremely tough it's it's like it's a positive thing that everyone has you know a lot more access to the tools to create videos you know adobe premiere is cheaper than ever and you know, like I said, you know, there's cinematic, you know, looking cameras out there that still crashes, fairly though, fairly yeah. often. So. <laughs> um, and the market's overpopulated. Everyone has a camera or an iPhone and everyone wants to be a filmmaker. But my first advice, I guess my first step is to really find a mentor and ride it out with them. I feel like that's really the best thing that you can do as a first step is find somebody you look up to and reach out to them. Um, and offer to help them whatever way you can to be able to learn from them and create a create a network basically.
0: Interesting. I mean, also work You mentioned working with artists is different from working with actors and things like shit can happen. You mentioned a story to me earlier in another chat that an artist was like, how many hours late to set one day?
1: Yeah, I mean that that happens often. <laughs> it's something that you got to deal with, and that's why I, I just don't get stressed out anymore because. Things like that happen all the time, but I recently did a shoot with an artist who showed up eight hours late. um, Yeah, that's a full working day, yeah. Well, I mean, the shoot ended up being almost 26 hours because we went into overtime because you still have to shoot a video at the end of the day. And the reality is, you know, they're going to be late. They're coming off tour. They're coming from a wardrobe fitting for the VMAs next week or whatever it is. You know, you're on their schedule at that point. That's just the reality of working with artists.
0: Mm. Yeah, you've got to sort of... Deal with the ups and downs, it's like a roller coaster, isn't it? Um, now, uh, someone else I follow is the, your editor, Shannon Griffith. Is it Griffith? Yeah, Shannon Griffith. Um, she seems really cool. I'd like to get her on the podcast one day. She's awesome. Um, but it raised the importance of networking for me. So she started working with you through simply, I think it was a social media post you put out there. So I just want you to talk a little bit about the importance of social media networking and as you say reaching out to find mentors as she has um, as well as attending actual events that can't be underestimated today.
1: Yeah I mean with Shannon, Shannon's amazing by the way, I would she like inspires me every day and helps me create everything that I do. Um, I put out a post a couple years ago looking for uh, an intern and an editor and Shannon reached out um, and she was one of a few people who reached out and ended up choosing her. And I feel like it goes back to my advice of finding a mentor, you know, she, she worked for free for me for a long time. But I feel like if you find a mentor, and you write it out with them, um, and you stay inspired, and you stay motivated, it's going to create opportunities. Like, over time, there's no way that you know, with a mentor and with the right people in your circle, and you stay loyal, that doors will open for you. Like it did for Shannon, and now Shannon edits most, mostly everything for me, and, and also me, and also Frank Boren who, um, is a uh, crazy amazing director, uh, and also owner of Underwater Content, which is a company that I direct for now. Um, so she edits for him, and also works with JR Strickland, who's an incredible VFX artist, um, who I've known for years, who does work for all the biggest artists in the game. But the point is, you know, she stayed loyal, and she she hustled, and she stayed motivated, even when there wasn't always money necessarily tied to certain jobs but doors open for her because if you're talented and you put in that work that's what happens over time
0: that's another thing i want to stress as well like as well as like turning up and trying to reach out and network and you know just reaching out to people you've got to have the work ethic to back it up because you can't just get your foot in the door then just sort of stay near the door you've got to keep going and yep show show what you're all about really
1: Yeah, exactly. I always joke about how there's a difference between social producers and producers. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of people who get almost like stuck in the mindset of of networking, 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 but then there's no follow through with the work because it gets stuck in this (laughs) like the
0: actual work now, do your job. Yeah, they
1: get stuck in this like mindset of like networking and networking is great, but networking is really 50 percent because the networking is really just to open the doors. And then once you get in those doors, then you got to put your head down and work, you know, Mm. so it's you got to network until the right opportunities open up, and then once those opportunities open up, you got to do the work. And then once you come out of those opportunities and you did the work and the jobs are done and whatever else, then you can go network a little bit more if you need to. But it's important not to get stuck in the cycle of networking because it's a dangerous place to live in. <laughs> the Holly, Hollywood way, right?
0: Yeah, but by putting in that work initially, once you have got that foot in the door, so to speak, the network passively grows because you, all these people you're surrounded with, see this person's good at their job and they're great to work with and it just grows on its own that way. You don't have to, it's sort of the snowball effect, isn't it? It just grows and
1: grows. Yeah, it's definitely definitely a balance. You know, a lot of of, uh, this industry, I feel like no matter what position you are is being intuitive. You have to make sure that you're networking and when the door's open with the right people that you stay hungry and loyal and keep running through those doors when it feels right because those opportunities will turn to so much more down the line.
0: Awesome. Oh, I feel so motivated. <laughs> um, I'm going to make a little segue now to documentaries yeah. compared to music videos. So was it the Mary J. Blige documentary was the first one you made? Is that correct?
1: Well, the first documentary I, I ever did um, was out of film school. I was I was hungry and I was looking for a job and I met this entrepreneur named Ryan Blair who had a book at the time called uh, Nothing to Lose, Everything to Gain. And it was he was a self-made entrepreneur who started a, a, a business that was worth um billion dollars and wow. um he was somebody that I met and I started doing small video work for um after college and at that time there was a lot going on in his life and he asked if I wanted to kind of come come on in a more full-time capacity of creating some sort of documentary around the book and the he had a book tour at the time and um was launching his business and all these things so anyway that was kind of my first experience in documentary filmmaking as a one man band I never really thought before that about documentary filmmaking at all so it was just something i kind of just fell into and having the know all of you know at that time um i edited i shot i kind of did everything so i was trying to uh cast a wide net if you will and just kind of like see where i landed and hopefully wherever i landed would be my door into the industry we could talk Mm -hmm. about that later too because that's also important i feel like um so i shot that all on like my canon 7d i edited the whole thing we did we put together like an hour an hour and 15 minute documentary that eventually he released just on his youtube channel but we ended up winning uh i won best producer at the beverly hills film festival for it and it went to a lot of different film festivals and that was really me as a one-man band you know down the line i you know got like a sound mixer at the end of it to kind of bring it all together and then a composer i worked with from usc kevin lax who's uh, actually composed all of my documentaries um, to date. So that was my first experience documentary filmmaking. So around the time I finished the doc is when I started getting heavily into music videos at riveting and started producing a lot of videos for Chris Brown. And after about, I think it had to have been probably about 20 music videos of Chris that I talked to Andrew Listerman about the idea of doing some sort of documentary on Chris's life. Cause there wasn't really anything that he had out there at the time. So because of my experience doing that previous doc, I had the confidence to know that it was something that I could get done and it was something that I enjoyed doing. Um, Cause for me, it's always been about doing feature films at the end of the day. Music videos for me is is fun and I, I love the process, but really it's a training ground for what, for the bigger picture goals that I have. And documentaries because it's feature length and because there's the added element of dialogue and music is a little bit closer to to what I want to be doing with scripted films. So when I pitched, when I pitched Chris Brown's documentary mm-hmm. to Andrew Listerman and, and Chris Brown, and they said yes that was kind of uh, I guess the first big picture doc that uh, I did at the time
0: I believe I heard the story you made like a sizzle from archive material um, which is to this day so you use that as a pitch for the documentary um, but also that's the intro of the documentary which is on Netflix for folks who want to check that out yeah exactly so the documentary world I suppose it is It sort of hones your craft as a storyteller because it's a totally different art form. You've got to sort of create that story. They say documentaries are more you shoot, then in the edit you find the story. Whereas a film, you have the story and you shoot the story. Um, Have you just found that process of documentary filmmaking?
1: Yeah, I mean, with, with, with music videos, it's different because you it's, it's more two-dimensional in the sense of, you know, you just have to really think about the visuals. And then if you have cool visuals in the can, then it's really an editing game because you could make anything kind of look cool through editing. But then when you get to documentaries and you have this added element of dialogue, it becomes a whole different whole different beast. Um, because when you're working with dialogue-driven material, music's important, but it's more about creating the mood. That was a crazy experience because... Um, of all the different, oops, sorry, struck something. <laughs> um, <It's> okay, <laughs> let, me, let me backtrack actually a little bit. Okay. So when you add the element of dialogue uh, to the filmmaking process, it just is a whole different beast. So at that time, I did the sizzle, which ended up being the intro for the documentary, like you said, that's on Netflix. Um, and then once they loved that, and we we got approved. We kind of made a hit list of of what artists we wanted to get interviews from to complete the film. So with that list and with the help of Listerman and also Chris Brown's manager at the time, Mike G, um, I went around. I interviewed everybody that you see in the doc now. So I traveled everywhere from. Um, I think I interviewed J Lo in San Francisco. I went to Mike Tyson's house in Las Vegas. Oh, I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it, I went
1: to uh, I went to DJ Khaled, but that was interesting because you know you have an hour of time with these people and sometimes less. I think with J Lo, I only had. Um, I could only ask like six questions because she was filming American Idol at the time. And we'll- only-
0: God, how, how is Jay like, was she cool?
1: Oh yeah, she's incredible. She's so sweet. Oh, nice. You know, she was, she had 15 minutes during uh, American Idol rehearsals and, and she gave it to us. And you kind of, documentaries is a fine balance between having a plan, but also just being open to kind of whatever unfolds, kind of, you know, running with it. And that's what's fun for me is that it really is this middle ground between music videos and feature filmmaking um, in a lot of ways.
0: Awesome. Um, I forgot what I was going to say now. So what is the process? Did you have a the idea that this is going to go into the, the cinemas, this is going to go onto Netflix? How, once you've made the documentary, how? what is the process of getting a documentary out of there? I mean, I suppose it's easier with someone with a name like Chris Brown attached to it, um, but... Well, can you give us an insight into that?
1: I mean, it's definitely easier when you're doing a music doc and you have a big artist like Chris Brown, or later on when I did Mary J. Blige's documentary, to kind of have that in the back of your head to know that kind of no matter what, something will happen with this documentary because of the names involved. Whereas, if you know, sometimes if you're doing a documentary that's not necessarily a music doc or around a celebrity, there is kind of that, that, uh, that if situation you know like what happens if you know nothing happens with this because it's not guaranteed you know luckily with chris it gave me the kind of the confidence to know like okay this is going to end up on some big like some big platform we're going to keep pushing forward no matter what because you know with chris's documentary we didn't really rely on a lot of um we didn't uh, actually any like footage that he had from from the past if you watch the documentary on netflix it's pretty much interview based with all different celebrities and then we lean on we lean on archival footage just to kind of support what everybody's saying but along the process you know we first started we only had two three interviews that we did and as you keep doing interviews and you discover more things that people are saying about Chris, then your, your question list kind of evolves. And we really didn't even know the film we were making until about halfway through it, until we had a lot of the interviews in the can. So that's definitely a fun part of it for me, making documentaries, is one, it's constantly changing. And two, you have to always be ready to let it evolve into whatever it wants to be.
0: Mm. What are some of your favorite documentaries?
1: Um. Let me think about
0: that. Put you on the spot there.
1: I know. Um, I just actually, well, not just recently. I saw. Um, my God, I'm blinking right now. Give me one sec.
0: <laughs> I'll say. I think I, sp- I just spoke to you before we went live with this that Formula One documentary on Netflix. Yeah. Some of the some of the access they have is incredible. There's a point where there's a boom up, holding the microphone over, just an intimate conversation between the driver. Um, I think it was Alonzo and one of the like the his race team owner, the head of the operations there, and he goes Can, does he have to be here? He just says it like <laughs> but it's just so intimate like the cameras that they're in places they have no business being, but it makes it so interesting
1: that's funny yeah I remember I remember seeing uh the defiant ones when it first came out that's I good think, that's yeah, good. it actually came out the same year that we released chris's doc um and that just blew me away the direction with that and the way they uh interviewed everybody and in the way it was edited it was really inspiring It was actually it was after we finished this chris's doc so you know it didn't really help me with inspiration as far as chris's doc but it was just something that i watched and i was blown away by i think i watched it two or three times because it was that good and that inspiring
0: i love the intro you know when it they're not necessarily ro- the cameras are rolling but they're just talking off camera saying like it's clips of like Willy- I'm saying oh so you want to talk about this 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 or like When's this going out? You know, just those random moments. I love those. They're really fun. Um, I believe you're making one for Lewis house as well. Yeah.
1: We actually finished that a couple months ago. Um, and Lewis is looking for the best platform to release it on. Um, that was definitely a different experience. Like every, I feel like every documentary, I mean, I've done four now. Everyone is just a completely different experience and process. Chris's doc was over the period of two years. Um, Not necessarily full time for two years because we would do, you know, say two interviews this month, which is two days and then we wouldn't have anything for a month. We would just be casually editing or figuring out who the next person one interview was. So that extended over two years. Um, And then Mary J. Blige's doc was actually about her album at the time. So we literally spent uh, three months in the studio with her while she was finishing her album, which was a crazy experience. But that was just about that that album. So it was three months of filming and then i think three months of editing so six months total and then lewis howe's doc was completely different because that took place over um two weeks of filming at his summit of greatness event um and then we spent a couple months editing but yeah for me no two docs are like and it's such a crazy process <laughs> i recommend to anybody who's starting a doc or thinking about doing a doc is you have to love whatever it is that you're doing because it could be a six-month process. It could be a three-year process. You never know.
0: I love I know it's a different type of documentary, but the David Attenborough, like Planet Earth ones, they filmed it. They're filmed over years to, to just to craft those moments that are just, just magic, aren't they?
1: You have to have patience. That's for mm. sure.
0: You strike me as someone who's very, well, obviously, you're very ambitious and entrepreneurial. So, I mean, you already achieved so much. What What drives you? Why do you...
1: Why do you do what you do? I mean, I've just always had this hunger for more. Always, like, even since I was a little kid. Um, you know, even even sometimes to a fault. You know, even when I am when I started off doing music videos, I was always comparing myself to, to like the guys I looked up to, because for me, that's where I always wanted to be. And for me, it's, it's definitely never enough. And my big picture goals are to do feature films. I actually just optioned my first feature film to um, a producer I've looked up to for a really long time. And you know, that's a crazy experience. You know, we're just at the beginning of it, finishing rewrites and we'll go to casting soon. um, So that's kind of my next, my next goal. So I think it's important just to always, just always have big picture goals and, you know, uh, higher plans, but also keep doing the small goals. You know, like I still, you know, even with that process, I'm still doing the music videos. That I just did one um, last week for Pipple, which was like a huge bucket list for me because he's somebody I've always wanted to work with. I think it's, for me, it's just having a hunger and, you know, making clear goals for yourself that are big picture goals and also small picture goals.
0: What's the difference between a big picture and a small picture goal in your head?
1: I mean, for me personally, you know, a big picture goal is is a, a scripted feature film because that's something that takes years, years to make. And, you know, they get put together and they fall apart. And, you know, it's just such a long process. So for me, that's why it's a bigger picture goal, because it just takes so much longer. Whereas a music video... You know, I could book one today that shoots in four days, and to me, that's just it's it's not smaller, because um, working with P- Pipple was big for me. So I don't mean smaller in a sense of like
0: uh, you don't mean sense small. You don't mean small in a sense of time scale.
1: Yeah, I mean, because it was still a big achievement for me. But you know, I think it's important to be pursuing to always be hustling and always be working on anything you can get your hands on, and not just so focused on the big picture that you're just sitting around waiting for things to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you do to sort of stay mentally and physically healthy because it sounds like you lead this bit of a whirlwind lifestyle like you're flying this place you're you're in miami you said to me you're going to new york and then it can be quite long days especially in the music video world with as you say the 26 hour shoots which is which is an anomaly to be fair but it can happen how do you keep yourself fresh
1: um again, it's like, it's definitely something that I've learned over time and everyone is different, but I think at the end of the day, you have to be careful about not always, um, letting your emotions run you down because there's so many ups and downs in this industry. And if, and if you let your emotions run you constantly, it could be definitely emotionally draining and physically exhausting, but I think it's important to create time for yourself. You know, for me, I try and go to the gym as you know, almost every morning or as much as I can first thing in the morning before I do anything. Um, just small things that, that work for you. I try not to look at my phone first thing in the morning <laughs> when I open my eyes, you know, if I look at an email, that isn't necessarily what I want to see first thing in the morning. <laughs> it could ruin my whole day. Mm.
0: You've taken, have you read the four hour work week, Tim Ferriss?
1: I haven't yet. I know. Oh, he keeps talks a lot about that. about
0: that. He talks about the efficiency of not checking emails and check things like that in batches. So you're not constantly interrupting your flow of your day. Just it's like, yeah. like Doing, he says, compares it to doing your laundry. So you don't just put one sock in the laundry. You wait till you've got a whole load you can put in, and then fire away. So and it's a, just a simple but smart way to think about things.
1: There's yeah, there's so many small tricks like that that you have to figure out. Just you know, figure out what works for you. Some people, some creators I know, um, you know, will take Sunday off and they'll won't look at their phone the entire day Sunday, and then for them that's enough for them to be able to hit the ground running Monday. And just work for the next six days straight. Um, for me it's just about having that time you know the first hour of my day to go to the gym and work on myself and the rest of the day I'm good and I don't need to take Sunday off. I love working on weekends. I love working whenever I can uh, whenever I can. So for me, that's what works the most is just creating that space and time for yourself to just really reflect and get in the right mindset to tackle anything that comes your way the rest of the day
0: This is it I mean, game not being too intrusive are you single at the moment are you or are you with anyone because
1: we've spoke with previous guests
0: about does it affect relationships or if ones who have kids etc so
1: yeah i'm definitely single right now it's i haven't i haven't learned how to balance a relationship and and work yet nor do i i want to mm-hmm. yet it's not it's not on my top mm-hmm. list of of things at this point in my life that um i need to do so mm-hmm. i think it's just important when you when you're so passionate about what you do career-wise i think that you just really have to be careful about where you spend your energy. And when you do find somebody to be in a relationship with, I think it just it has to be obviously the right person so that you're spending your energy wisely. Because what we do can be draining. You know, when you're as passionate as you are as, you know, as being a creator, you're so passionate about your, your work and you pour emotion into it and you'll do whatever it takes to get it done. Usually because if because it's so competitive and because it's your work and it has your name on it. And if you can't be with somebody who... um. Can understand that and support you in that path, then for me, I just don't want to be in a relationship at all.
0: No, that's it. You want someone who you can share that ambition and drive with, don't you? So, um, no, this has been awesome, Andrew. This thanks very much. Um, to sort of draw it out to a bit of a close, we we've been asking folks some sort of quick fire questions. And um, so the first one is you're 30 now what would you have said some advice to that young 18 or 21 year
1: old self um hmm. i would say do your best to always stay inspired and stay motivated to create your own opportunities because you never know what's around the corner you know you could you could have nothing going for you today and that big opportunity is, is next week and you don't know it yet, you just have to get to next week. So do whatever you can to stay inspired, whether it's watching movies or reading books or listening to a podcast, whatever works for you, just figure out what works for you and just keep doing it because that hunger is what's gonna get you to the next opportunity.
0: Then outside of work, well, not, no, not necessarily outside of work, is there something people don't really know about you that might follow you online? I think Andrew, Andrew is just this big time director
1: um, I love I love giving back. I love giving back to, to, uh, to creatives and people, you know, I love doing uh, podcasts like this and uh, my business partner and one of my best friends Ben Haggerty started black with no cream, which is I think is is an amazing resource for aspiring creators and uh, people in the industry who want to get advice and reach out for mentorship. So that's something I love to do is I love to mentor others and I like to give back to the next generation.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, just to remind people, there's this creator group called Black With No Cream, named after black coffee without any cream. But in England, we don't have cream, we have milk. Anyway, um, so join that Facebook group, Black With No Cream. And there's tons of, you know, people sharing opportunities, sharing work, great way to network. There's more American based because a lot of this audience is UK based. So it'd be good to grow more uk uk members of that so yeah get on to that people actually Um, actually just recently got a
1: a new director rep in the uk so hopefully i'll be over on that side soon
0: well yeah it'd be great to catch up i mean i'm we're sort of manchester based but it's like i'm assuming you mostly go to places like london but it's like two three hours on the train so it's always great to meet meet people like yourself um you also you talk about mentorship you do often post about any opportunities could be like a behind the scenes shoot. You need someone to help out, um, on your Instagram. So where can people reach out to you if they want some advice or want to follow what you're up to?
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I mean, really Instagram is the best place to keep up to date with what I'm doing and reach out to me. I feel like everything is timing. You know, it's all about when you reach out to somebody and when you follow up with people. And I think that's just a skill that you have to learn over time. Um, there's a lot of people I've been mentoring recently that, um, you know, it really just happened because they have, you know, because they sent me a DM or they reached out at the exact time that I needed help with something. And sometimes, you know, that's how those things align. It's just, it's just timing. So look out for all those posts, you know, when Ben posts something about needing, um, an intern in New York, or when I post something randomly about needing, B- you know, BTS, just keep your eyes open for those opportunities. And, um, yeah, just keep creating.
0: Awesome. Uh, if there's anything else you'd like to share,
1: um, I thought of a funny story. Kind of, if you want to use it, yeah, go
0: for it. <laughs> Bring it in. Let's end on something fun. Uh,
1: one of um, let me backtrack. So uh, I did at one point. I was I was doing some video work for a bunch of DJs. You know who all ran in the same group: Steve Angelo, Swedish House Mafia, and I was doing one for uh, Norman duray who's an incredible European DJ. Reach out to me and say, to say that they you know wanted to come to LA to shoot a music video, they had a budget. I was like, cool, sounds good, send me the track. They said, cool, we have the track and we kind of have a light concept. We love bowling, so we wanna do a concept around bowling. I'm like, okay, huh, that's random, but all right, cool. I've never done it before, sounds good. So they wanted this narrative-based concept where they're bowling against each other and it's like this bowling um, championship, if you will. So they fly to LA, we start shooting on set And we start shooting the bowling stuff and Norman goes up to bowl and they start just throwing gutter balls one after the other after the other, Um, which obviously (laughs) wouldn't work for the concept because the concept is like these are championship bowlers bowling against each other. Um, So I pull him aside. I'm like, yo, have you ever like bowled before? And he's like, no, we've actually never bowled before. Like this is our first time bowling. But this is like a concept (laughs) that like they wanted to do. Like they reached out to me and was like, we love bowling, want to do it. So that was a curveball when I was on set because um, we had to use hand doubles basically for everything to be able to get yeah. like all the all the shots. I'm like, thinking pins of Joey's hand
0: twin in Friends or something like that.
1: Yeah. And I just thought it was so funny because it was something because they didn't tell me they'd never bowled before. And it was like this concept that they wanted to do about bowling. Um, and it was the first time they had ever bowled. So that was kind of like a curveball, literally, um, that we had to figure oh. out. So if you ever watch watch the video, it's called Strong. It's on YouTube. Um, They actually got better throughout the day, though, which was funny. Like, they definitely ended up getting a few strikes on their own. But the first half of the day was rough, man.
0: Basically, they reached out to you saying they want to do something fun and you film it.
1: I I always say music videos like the Wild West because you never know what to expect.
0: (laughs) On that note, man, it's been a privilege talking to you. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Thanks for having me, man.